Welcome to the Money is Emotional podcast with Christine Lukin, the Financial Dignity Coach. In this podcast, we help you recover a positive and peaceful relationship with your personal finances. We do this by bringing together wise money management with emotional intelligence. Join us for this journey where we navigate our relationship with money as Christine Lucan draws from years of experience and guest experts to help you get to the root of your money issues. Hello and welcome to Money is Emotional with your host, Christine Lucan. Christine, what's going on? Oh, all kinds of fun stuff. Back here in snowy Kentucky. (laughs) Yeah. How how cold is it? It's pretty bad. Uh, It's Well, it's actually interesting because it's not super cold today, but we've got high winds and Mm. it's going to be really cold tomorrow. So we've got this, you know, I always tell people, if you don't like the weather in Kentucky, just wait. (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah 24 hours later it's gonna be something different <laughs> yeah right. well there you go all right well today I, i'm excited to dive into this with you um you're talking about money stories right yes yeah and some people say like mm, well, what do you mean by money story money stories are narratives from your past usually things that have happened to you in childhood that are still affecting your behavior with money today, even if they're no longer true anymore. Got it. Yeah, I can. Uh, so you, we, it's a learned behavior is what you're saying. It is. And it's interesting because sometimes we don't really even remember it as being like a traumatic experience. Mm-hmm. but it was still something that that shaped us. And, you know, a lot of people think like, oh, the past is the past. You know, I, I am in control of my present and my future based off my actions. But the truth of the matter is your past does affect your present and your future. If you think about it, when you were born, you didn't have any opinions about money, either positive or negative. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Everything we learned about money, we usually learned from our family of origin or the other adults in our lives that were prominent to us or other authority figures. So, you know, it could be grandparents, aunts, uncles, um, even teachers or pastors who, you know, we looked to as the authority. You know, when you think about it as a little kid, especially when you're very young, you don't really question what your parents tell you. Now, it usually doesn't start happening until you're like, you know, eight or nine years old where you're like, "Mm." yeah, my parents are telling me that there's a, you know, there's a fat man that comes down our chimney and eats our cookies and leaves us presents. Uh-huh. <laughs> now, I mean, when you're five, you just believe that without question, right? Because it's like, these are my parents. These are the people that are taking care of me. When we're very little, we see them as the sources of truth. Yes. Yeah. And we rarely question those things. And, you know, they basically teach us how we should think about money, how we should feel about money. 
we essentially are inheriting their biases, whether they're healthy or unhealthy. Some people were, you know, fortunate to be raised by parents who had a very healthy view of money and talked about it very openly. And then there were other people who were born into families where, you know, their parents said that rich people were evil and greedy and Mm -hmm. they never had any money or they said it's not polite to talk about money. And then we have all this weird, shamey stuff that's under the surface that's affecting us today. And most of the time, we don't even realize that it's affecting us, which is kind of the crazy thing. Yeah. So have you seen or do you see some folks that maybe they come to the realization that mom and dad were not good examples of A, B, or C, whatever that is. And we're talking about mm-hmm. money here. Right. But, and they just kind of rebel against how they handled it. Yeah. It's actually interesting that you say that because that is my husband. And, you know, his mom was just, you know, rest her soul. She was just not great with money. Mm-hmm. She was one of those people that lived for today and she would she'd figure it out and worry about it tomorrow, which meant that there was a lot of crisis. Yeah, (laughs) there was a lot of financial drama. And when his mom got divorced, when Nick was, uh, I believe it was 16 or 17. Him and his older sister actually both worked while going to school and they contributed to the grocery budget Mm -hmm. because mom didn't have enough money. And so he has always been very responsible and, you know, on the spectrum of being uh, frugal versus being a free spender, he is much more on the frugality end of the spectrum, which, of course, because of my background with my ex-fiance, who was completely irresponsible with money, Mm -hmm. I mean, that was very attractive to me that he was responsible with money and he could be trusted with money. And, you know, he wasn't spending money like water, but it's interesting because now we're doing really well financially and I have to encourage him to loosen up. Yeah. And it's like, it's okay. You can spend some money. And when I start dreaming about certain things, he's like, well, we could never do that because X, Y, Z. And I'm like, all right, let's just like let's just think about the dream and not exactly how how it's going to happen, right? Mm-hmm. Like we don't have to figure this all out. This is like the 5-year plan, but it's like he needs to know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly how this is going to happen because he spent a good amount of his childhood experiencing this financial turmoil and that's a way for him to control it is by being frugal. I, trust me, I would much rather have that extreme of the spectrum than, yeah, than the right? other end of the spectrum, right? It's like, I can work with this. I can get you to loosen up a little bit. Um, but yeah, it's interesting because sometimes people repeat the patterns mm-hmm. that they saw growing up and others actually do the opposite. And one <laughs> of the things I love to have you know, my clients and my audience do is to reflect on the way that your parents behaved with and talked about money when you were growing up. 
because that can kind of point us to some clues mm-hmm. about what our money stories might be. Now, we're going to dive into some brain science, and I know you and I both geek out over this, oh, yeah. and Love I this. hope our audience will too. But, um, you know, I found out, and this was probably about three or four years ago, children's brains are very different from adult brains. And the reason why our early childhood experiences with money are so important and so impactful is because of this difference between adult brains and children's brains. So children who are between the ages of two and seven, while they're awake, they're mostly in a brainwave state known as theta. Hmm. Now, adults are mostly in alpha or beta. So alpha and beta are like the creative, you know, you're, you're painting something or, you know, you're concentrating and you're doing a spreadsheet, right? So it's kind of like the logical versus the creative. Got it. Now, theta brainwave state is known as the super learning state. And kids at this age are like a sponge. And you might have even said this about your own kids or, you know, your grandkids or your nieces or nephews. It's why you can slip up and say a cuss word in front of your three-year-old. And four days later, they will repeat it in Mm -hmm. the proper context in the middle of the grocery store. (laughs) Yep. Because... Everything in this in this theta brainwave state, everything is fast tracked into the unconscious mind. So if you think about it, children at this age, they are learning language. They are learning how to survive and thrive in society and in a family unit. You know, everything is new to them. And so they have to take all this information in so that they can learn how to survive and how to thrive. This is why you can teach a five-year-old English, Japanese, and Spanish all at the same time, and they will learn all of them just as easily as one. Hmm. It's like this open gate into the unconscious mind. It's kind of a good thing and a bad thing because in this theta brainwave state, they haven't developed this almost like the judgment to say, do I want to accept this as the truth? It's just all accepted as the truth. So if you say something to your kids that's negative about money, they will just accept that as the truth. They won't even question it. Mm. This is the same reason why you can tell your your child on St. Patrick's Day that there's a leprechaun in the bushes that's hiding a pot of gold and they believe you, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? That childhood wonder, right? You or can tell that a four-year-old. Elf on a shelf somewhere, yeah, the elf right. on the shelf thing, that whole... Yeah. yeah, I mean, you can say that to a four-year-old and they, they believe you 100%. Now you tell that to like a nine or a 10-year-old, They've started to develop, you know, they've started to shift away from that theta brainwave state Mm -hmm. into the alpha and the beta. And so what's interesting is that 
adults do experience theta brainwaves, but do you know when they experience them? No, I'm really curious though. <laughs> Under hypnosis. Really? And okay. in that space between wakefulness and sleep. Huh? Right. When you're like falling asleep, right? You're not really a hundred percent awake. You're not really a hundred percent asleep. Um, and this is why I tell people, if you want to overcome a negative mindset about money, that this is the best time to listen to your positive money mantras or affirmations mm -hmm. is first thing when you wake up and as you're falling asleep, because you're very close to that theta brainwave state. And it's almost like if you want to think of like the theta brainwave state being like an open door to the unconscious. Right? Interesting. Wow. So you've almost got like this little, you know, it's like the door is cracked first thing in the morning and right before you fall asleep. But for children who are between like two and seven, their doors wide open. And I honestly wish that I could tell this to every single parent that is leaving the hospital with a new baby. Yeah. <laughs> about how important what you say to your child is not just about money, but about everything. Yeah. And so if you're learning something or you want to basically change your money blueprint, which I think we had talked about that maybe in episode two about why money is so emotional, mm -hmm. you know, you want to make changes to those things that are contained in your unconscious mind that might be causing you to do things that aren't productive or helpful. That theta brainwave state, it fast tracks information into your unconscious mind, whether it's true or not. Hmm, that's fascinating. I know. So, you know, unhelpful money stories keep us in this cycle of self-sabotage. And so I had this client, I call her Carrie. She was uh, coming out of a divorce and she was concerned about her lack of retirement funds. And she really just couldn't seem to make herself, quote unquote, save, despite being worried about it. And so we had talked about these money stories, and I had asked her to think about what some of her earliest memories were around money or, you know, just things that had jumped out at her as her homework in between our sessions. And so when she came back to our next session, she's like, okay, now I realize why every time I get money, I feel like I should just be able to spend it. Hmm. I said, okay, tell me about this. She said, I distinctly remember my mom taking my brothers and I school shopping. And she said, we went to the mall and she took us to one of the cheaper stores. She said it was probably Sears or JCPenney. And she had a very strict budget for us. You know, like we could only get certain things. She only had enough money for me to get so many shirts and so many pairs mm -hmm. of pants or whatever. And I specifically remember asking her for something that I, I wanted. And she told me, no, we don't have enough money for that. Well, after we were done school shopping, 
Mom takes us to the other end of the mall, to the higher end stores, and she starts shopping for herself, you know, looking mm. at purses and clothes with much bigger price tags than than what I had. And so when I asked her, well, mom, how come you said I can't afford, you know, you can't afford to buy that, you know, that dress for me, but you get to buy whatever you want. And her mom said, well, Carrie, when you make your own money, you can spend whatever you want to. Mm -hmm. And she said, I realize now that as soon as I got my first job in high school, I spent whatever I wanted to on whatever I wanted. And I've never stopped doing that. I've always felt like it's my money. I earned it. I should get to spend it however I want to. And just that realization of where that feeling came from was just this big aha, like, oh, that's why <laughs> I've been stuck in this pattern. And I said, look, it's true. You make your own money and you can spend it however you want to. I said, but you can also save and invest mm -hmm. whatever you want to as well. And so, you know, we did work on some very specific tactics to help her automate some of that discipline and make sure that she did have fun money that she could spend however she wanted to. And, and we worked on some strategies so that both of those things could be satisfied. But it wasn't until we uncovered the root of it that she was able to move forward. That's so interesting because uh, honestly, I think about that parents, that the, the mom's message to the daughter that's mm -hmm. not a wrong message, no. right? It's, it's, if, if my kids, if I took my kids school shopping and then had to go buy some, some of my clothes that I needed for business, mm -hmm. um, there are certain stores that I would go to that the shoes alone for, you know, size 13 dress shoes that are, that are nice, that are, you know, that are going to look good with, with a suit or whatever. You're right. not going to get those off the rack at Kmart, right? <laughs> no. It's, it's something where. <laughs> I think I may have said that, you know, when you, when you start making your own money, you, you can absolutely spend it how you want to. Mm -hmm. um, it wasn't a negative message at all, but the no. thing is, is that it was taken <laughs> in such a way that it imprinted. And so I can totally see like, you can spend it any way you want to mm -hmm. done, right? That, that's yeah. it. There, there's my <laughs> message. I am all about it. And, and I remember when I, and maybe my parents said that to me one time, but um, I don't remember it, but when I had my first paper out, I made more money than a you know 13 or 14 year old should really right. <laughs> um, every month. I had a, a good amount of money, a couple hundred dollars that you know, I didn't have any bills, you know, right. and I certainly didn't have any plans for investing <laughs> or retirement, you know, so right. that money was gone. Right. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, if you're listening and you find yourself repeating the same sort of destructive financial patterns over mm -hmm. and over again, despite wanting to change, then an unhelpful money story might be at the root of the problem. So, yeah. of course, the question is, well, what do I do about these money stories? So the first step to removing the unhelpful money stories is to uncover them. And I will say that this process is like peeling an onion. Mm-hmm. You're honestly never 100% finished with this process of unraveling things that might not be helpful to your financial success, especially as you 
move on to new heights of wealth. I always say new level, new devil, right? There's always like hmm. a, a different problem or a different challenge or, you know, a different mindset block that you might come against, even as you move up into higher levels of financial success, because, you know, things are more complicated because of taxes and estate planning and running your own business and different things that you're like, oh, right. All of a sudden we uncover like this whole nother level of things. But what I find is that there's usually like one or two big things for a lot of people that are holding them back, especially if they've experienced like overspending or or something like that. So in addition to reflecting on your parents' words and actions about money, think back to your earliest money memory or something that was memorable or had an emotional charge to it. Um, you know, I mean, it, it could be positive, could be negative. I've had people say that they never felt comfortable not making money, but like holding on to money. So I've seen this pattern with a lot of people where they make a lot of money, but they don't hang on to it. They spend it. And it's it's interesting because behind a lot of those stories is a childhood memory of where they lost money and they were mm. scolded for it. You know, like mom sent them to the store with $5 to buy bread and milk and eggs and they lost the $5, right? And then yeah. they got scolded for being irresponsible, like I can't trust you. And so they got this message of, I can't be trusted with money, mm. right? Or, you know, there, there's a whole variety of causes that could be behind something like that. Also, listening to the words that come out of your own mouth about money, especially if they're negative, those can also be clues about what those money stories are. Excuse me. Yes, you. Thank you so much for listening to the Money is Emotional podcast. We hope you're enjoying it so far. If you have any questions or would like to talk more about this topic, you can find us at www.christinelukin.com and all of our social media platforms are listed in the show notes. Especially if you're repeating something and you all of a sudden think like, oh my God, I sound like my dad or I sound like <laughs> my mom or my grandpa. Yeah. <laughs> because that's on autopilot, right? That's just like this story that, you know, like I can't be trusted with money or I'm so irresponsible. I always spend everything I make. Now, especially if a parent said that to you over and over again then it's like we believe that it's true. So yeah. now, once we actually, you know, how do we uncover these memories? So writing down the memories from your childhood. You know, if you've got something that really jumps out to you and you're like, ooh, yeah, this was, this was something that happened with money, even if the amount is not big, that's important um, because... You know, losing $5 to us as 
30, 40, 50 year olds were like, oh, I lost $5. My mom got mad. To us, that doesn't seem like a big deal. Mm-hmm. But to a five year old or six year old, $5 is like a million dollars, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's a big deal. <laughs> and it's really not so much about the, you know, how dramatic the situation was. It's the emotional reaction of you as a child. Because when it's interesting, when you have a very strong emotional reaction to something, whether it's money or anything else, there's actually hormones and chemicals that are released in your body. So sometimes we think that our thoughts and our emotions are like separate from our bodies. They actually have a physical effect on us. And so I always tell people like, hey, if you don't believe me, you need to go read or listen to a book called The Biology of Belief by Dr. Bruce Lipton. That book completely blew my mind. Mm. (laughs) That's all I'm going to say. Like, if you doubt that, it's a really important thing to read. And what I also think is interesting, this is kind of like a little tiny tangent, our childhood memories and our preferences they're not just stored in our brain. They're actually stored in the cells of our body. And I don't know if you've ever heard this before, but um, people who have received organ transplants will actually take on characteristics and preferences of the person that they received the organ from. So there's been studies that have been shown that people who have received somebody else's heart or a lung or a kidney or a liver that they will start having cravings for food that they never craved before. Really? They will all of a sudden be interested in sports that they've never been interested in before. It's really kind of crazy if you do the research on it. So the memories are there. There's not just a memory in your head. It's literally a cellular memory in your body. So it is important that we uncover what these stories are that might be pulling us off track. And then, of course, the second step is to rewrite the money story with a happy ending and also to practice some forgiveness. So let me give you an example of of what this would look like. So I had a client, we'll call her Lori. She also had a problem with saving money, but this was actually a little bit more extreme. So when we first got together, you know, we were looking at all of her accounts and um, I said, okay, so how much money do you have in savings? And she's like, nothing. (laughs) And I said, "Um, do you have a savings account? And she said, no. I said, okay, well, that's the first step. I want you to open up a savings account. Gave that to her as homework. She came back to the second session. And I said, all right, how to go with your homework? Did you open up the savings account? And she said, "Um, I was going to. And she said, I felt physically sick Mm. when I thought about going and opening this savings account. She said, there was like so much resistance in my body. I could not make myself go and open this account. And so 
I just looked at her and I said, was there ever a time in your childhood where it wasn't safe to save money? And all of a sudden I could like see this look of really? recognition, like pass over her face. And she was like, Oh my God. <laughs> I said, <laughs> all right. Tell me. And she said, she said, as a kid, I had this red piggy bank and she said, whenever I got a couple bucks for my birthday or a little bit of, you know, pocket money from my grandparents, she said, I would put it in this red piggy bank. And she said, I was about maybe five or six years old. She said, I had like $10 in my piggy bank and I, I would hide it in my closet. And she said, um, my stepbrother was nine years older than me. And one day he got into my piggy bank and he stole my $10. And she said, I remember being so upset yeah. that my money was gone. And she said, like, I was cr like hyperventilating, crying. You know, I told my parents that my money was gone. And I was, you know, she said, they eventually figured out what happened. And they made her stepbrother give her back the money. And I said, so once you got that money back from your brother what did you do with it she was like oh i spent it mm -hmm. i said did you ever put any money back in that piggy bank and she said no never yeah and i said that experience taught you that it wasn't safe to save money that if you hung on to it someone would steal it from you and i said you know your stepbrother was someone who was part of your family you know he was someone that you were supposed to have trusted but i mean let's think about how many teenagers have pilfered money from you know their parents changed or whatever yeah, right yeah. uh you know he probably didn't go on to be like a career criminal or anything you know it's probably just normal teenage behavior but you know it it traumatized her and so you know in that that state of you know being upset being you know very emotionally charged she decided that saving money was unsafe you know it wasn't just like oh saving money is hard it's not safe yeah which is even more encoded in your body which was why she was like i could not even <laughs> make myself go to the bank to open this account yeah so i said you know, the interesting thing with money stories, it's hard to just like uproot it and throw it away. You know, our unconscious mind is so weird. It's much easier to replace something than to just throw something out. So what we ended up doing is I had her rewrite the story with a happy ending. And basically the happy ending was, rather than her parents catching her stepbrother and reprimanding, you know, she rewrote the story so that her stepbrother actually came back to her before she even went to her parents and said, you know, Lori, I am so sorry. Here is your money back. 
I've been a bad brother to you. You know, I was jealous of how much money you had saved because you're such a good saver. Here's your money back with interest. interest. There we go. That's what I was waiting for. (laughs) With interest. I will never, ever do this again. Right. And so she rewrote that story. And then she also wrote a letter of forgiveness to her brother, but she never sent it. Yeah. So she basically wrote it as the adult that she was today saying, you know, I forgive you for doing this. Here's the effect that it's had on me. Mm-hmm. You know, I released this. I let this go. And then we also created some positive money mantras for her to repeat, you know, first thing in the morning and before she went to bed about saving money is safe. My money yeah. is safe in the bank. I'm a good saver. You know, so we could start to take advantage of that little crack in the door, time, so yeah. to speak, yeah. um, to let that good stuff come in and overwrite that unhelpful thought that saving money isn't safe. And it was so crazy because after we did these activities, she went out and she opened the account, she set up automatic transfers. And, you know, by the time the six months was over, like we were both in shock as to how much money she had in her savings. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we can't really delete these negative money stories, but we can overwrite them with happier endings. Yeah, that's so interesting. I, I I love how that turned out, obviously. Um, and I love the fact that we were both on the same page with the interest due. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because, you know, that was like him making up for. Absolutely. Yeah. The fact that he had done that. So, um, but it's just like, I love, I, and I've had so much practice at spotting people's money stories, like things that people say where I'm like, oh, there's a story behind that one. Like, we're going to start digging over here because I can see that there's something there. And it's so funny because people will be like, how did you know that was down there? (laughs) It's like, they think I have this magical talent and I'm like, I don't know. Maybe it is, but I think it's just that I've had a lot of experience and I am very skilled at hearing people's negative money talk that it's like, I have to remind myself sometimes like, Christine, your cousin did not pay you to coach them. <laughs> like, I know you just heard that negative thing that came out of their mouth. Just like, let it go. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, I, and, I'm, and this is a little bit off of maybe my own little tangent here, uh, but I'm assuming that you've had clients that have compared themselves to their siblings. And the reason mm-hmm. I say that is because, you know, my, my sister and I are four years apart and I know other families that their kids are four or five years apart and they, maybe they have three kids. So that's a 12 to 15 year span between mm-hmm. children, right? Yep. A lot happens there. So maybe the yeah. oldest one, right? Mom and dad had a decent amount of money, the first kid, but they're very conservative on their, you know, what they're allowing them to do, how they allow them to play on a playground, how they allow them to play with friends or how long they can be out. Uh, and by the time the third child comes around, they're like, if, as long as you come back sometime today, you're fine, right? <laughs> the kid's out there doing whatever. And I, I, I would assume it's very similar with money, where by the time you have that third child, it's expensive to raise kids. And so maybe the money's a lot tighter um, or the opposite, where now mom and dad are both making a, a high salary because they've been in you know business for 20, 25 years. And so 
the purse strings are looser for the third child. Are you seeing that where they're comparing themselves to their siblings? Like one of the, my brother's such an amazing saver. He, he does invest. He's got his retirement all figured out and I have no clue what's going on. Right. Right. You, yeah. do you see that a lot. I do. And sometimes it is a matter of like personality differences. You know, yeah. the, the sibling that's more like take charge, organized, et cetera, um, can feel like it's more, natural for them to manage money well Got versus it, yeah. someone who's disorganized, more creative, et cetera. Yeah. yeah. Um, but the other interesting thing too is, you know, it really depends on what's going on in the family because, you know, let's just say dad loses the job. Well, mm-hmm. there's only two of the three kids and the second child is in that theta stage and almost picks up on things more than the older child. Yeah, true, true. You know, so it doesn't necessarily have to be this progression from, okay, you know, when we had our first kid, you know, we were eating off a card table because we're just getting started in life. And by the time the third kid comes along, well, now we live in the suburbs Mm -hmm. and, and have two cars and money's a little bit freer now or vice versa, there can be things that happen in the family that affect one child more than the other based off of the child was too young to understand what was even going on or, you know, one child's getting ready to, you know, they're in high school and they're, they're not hanging out with their parents. (laughs) Right. So they don't even, they don't even really pick up on some of the undercurrents that are going on. So it is very uh, common for, a family with multiple children for them to be completely different when it comes to money. Yeah. What, what I'm, what I'm hearing is your money story is your money story. Yeah. Right. It's not your brother's money story. It's not your sister's money story. It's your money story mm-hmm. and diving deeper into that, you know, to, to figure out why yours is the way it is without comparing it to somebody else is, is right. probably the most important thing they can do. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, To sum up, if we leave these money stories unexamined, they can keep us unconsciously repeating money behaviors that are not good for us. But we can be intentional about identifying and transforming those money stories into something that serves us. And so if our listeners want to dive deeper into uncovering and correcting unhealthy money stories that are keeping them stuck. Um, I created my magnetic money mindset course specifically for this. It is a complete science-backed system for creating a positive money mindset. So we're going to link up the link to the course right in the show notes. And we're also offering a special promotion. So if you uh, put the promo code podcast at checkout, um, we've got a sizable listener discount on the Magnetic Money Mindset course today. Fantastic, Christine. This is fun. I mean, I, I like you said we kind of geek out on this stuff, and and uh, I love learning this stuff from you. <laughs> Good, well, because I again. love to teach it. <laughs> yes. Well, again, thank you so much. I appreciate it. My pleasure. You bet. And our last thank you always goes to you listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Money is Emotional podcast with Christine Lucan. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Christine comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. 
And we humbly ask you to share this podcast, rate it, and leave a review. This actually does help others find the show. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at Money is Emotional, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Money is Emotional podcast. To get in touch, visit our website at www.christinelucan.com or drop us a line at hello at christinelucan.com. And don't forget to click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Christine Lucan. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing or tax advice. Always seek the advice of your advisor, tax professional, or other qualified financial professional with any questions you may have regarding your personal finances.